Hello and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Daniel Ramey. Today, we talk with Gilbert Michaud, Assistant Professor of Environmental Policy at the School of Environmental Sustainability, Loyola University, Chicago. Gilbert is an expert on the power sector and economic development. And in today's episode, he'll help us understand a new state law in Illinois called the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act. The bill aims to eliminate greenhouse gas emissions from the power sector by mid-century and includes a variety of other provisions to help make the state's energy transition more equitable. Stay with us. All right, Gilbert Michaud from Loyola University, Chicago. Welcome to Resources Radio. Thanks, Daniel. Great to be here. So, Gilbert, we're going to talk today about a new energy and climate policy that recently passed in the state of Illinois. But before we do that, we always ask our guests how they got interested in working on energy and environmental issues in the first place. So what sort of drove you into this field? Were you interested in this stuff as a kid? Did it develop over time? Can you kind of give us your story? Yeah, good question. It's kind of a manifold story. So my interest in renewables and the environment is actually kind of deep rooted. Um, I'm probably aging myself here a bit, but as a kid, one of my favorite TV shows and TV characters was uh, the environmentalist superhero Captain Planet, right? Oh, and he was yeah. tasked with, yeah, saving the earth from uh, environmental destruction and pollution. And so it's funny, my parents tell me stories about going to the beach in Maine as a kid growing up. And instead of uh, swimming or building sandcastles and hanging out with the other kids, I actually wanted to walk around and pick up litter. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so I guess I'll never really know, you know, how much that show or like my, my upbringing and background, broadly speaking, like impacted my research interests. But uh, when I finished my undergraduate degree in uh, economics, I took a job at a business journal and they asked me what industry sector I wanted to cover, right? Healthcare, manufacturing, et cetera. And I said, I wanted to cover the energy and power sector. And so this was my first job. My job was to find sort of cool case studies to highlight in the journal, talking to electric utilities, talking to nonprofits, building renewable energy projects, companies investing in sustainable transportation. And so it was a really fun position. I got to talk to a lot of like innovators and entrepreneurs that were leading the charge um, in the sustainable energy transition. This was about 10 years ago. And so I actually ended up leaving the job. I knew that I wanted to continue studying these topics. And so went to graduate school, got a master's and PhD, as you know, focused in renewable energy policy and planning and and economic development. So uh, here we are. Yeah, that's so interesting. And um, we must be about the same age because I grew up on Captain Planet too. And if I remember right, the five elements are earth, wind, water, fire, and heart. Is that right? I think that's correct. I'd have to look it up. Uh, I remember I had a little <laughs> ring that I would put on my finger that like represented each of those, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And together they formed, of course, Captain Planet. And so we'll have a link to Captain Planet in the show notes for all you either very young or very old who may be listening and haven't heard of Captain Planet. Um, okay, let's move on to the substance of our conversation uh, now. And you know, we're going to talk about this new bill that recently passed in Illinois called the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act. But before we do that, let's lay some groundwork. So I know you've only been in Illinois for a few months, but can you help us by starting off uh, understanding, like, what does the electricity mix currently look like in the state and how maybe has it been changing over the last decade or so? Yeah, good question. So uh, Illinois has a pretty unique uh, electricity generation mix. 
So a majority of the state's electricity actually comes from nuclear. It's a whopping 54%. Um, so Illinois is actually the state with the largest percentage of nuclear generation in the whole country. Uh, we have six nuclear power plants in Illinois. And uh, thinking broadly, that accounts for about 13% of the country's uh, nuclear generation as a whole. So a lot of nuclear energy in the state. We have coal-fired power plants. Uh, that represents about 30% of the state's generation. About 10% is from renewables. A lot of that is from wind in particular. And somewhere around 7 or 8% natural gas. Uh, so these, you know, these are sort of our generation assets. They've changed over time, obviously. We're seeing, uh, you know, the decommissioning of some of the uh, coal-fired generation, of course. And the state of Illinois is served by two major investor-owned utilities. So we have Commonwealth Edison or ComEd, which serves Chicago and the northern portion of the state. And then Ameren, Illinois, which serves the central and southern portions of the state. And so they're the ones that own a lot of these uh, generation assets. And then the other thing, real quick, Daniel, is that we actually generate more electricity in Illinois than we consume. And so we're actually an exporter of electricity. That's interesting. Um, and yeah, I imagine it's because of all that nuclear generation primarily, right? It's going to be running more or less 24-7. And so especially exactly. at low demand times, it's going to be exporting. So can you give us a sense of what electricity policies the state had in place before this new bill um, came up and was recently enacted? Yeah, so prior to this new bill being passed, uh, Illinois had a pretty traditional renewable portfolio standard or an RPS of 25% by 2026. I believe this was passed in 2007, so it's been around for a little while. Uh, and, and for folks unfamiliar uh, with this, an RPS, this Renewable Portfolio Standard, is basically a state-level legislative mandate that requires uh, regulated electric utilities to have a certain percentage of their generation mix come from renewable sources by a certain date, right? So again, 2026 is the target date, 25% renewable energy. And so that put the state's RPS kind of in the middle of the pack, definitely better than some states, definitely worse than a few others. And uh, we had a few other, you know, policy mechanisms to encourage renewables, such as, you know, net metering policies and tax credits. But really the other major policy, Daniel, that Illinois had made news for was called uh, FEJA or the Future Energy Jobs Act. And so uh, this had bipartisan support. It was enacted in 2016 and had a few important provisions. So for instance, it said that Illinois would reduce its carbon emissions by more than 50% from uh, 2012 levels by 2030. Uh, it also aimed to invest a lot of money, about $750 million uh, in renewable energy programs for low-income communities through a program called Illinois Solar for All. Uh, and so that was looking to uh, help lower-income customers and nonprofits and community centers and folks like this access uh, things like rooftop solar and community solar very pointedly. So there was a really important uh, and unique community solar uh, piece to this bill. There was a job training component to this and a few other pieces of, of FIJA related to energy efficiency. But really the unique foundation that was laid here was the impacts to low and moderate income communities. And it was a really important uh, piece of energy and climate legislation at the time. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And we're going to come back to that piece about, um, you know, community energy deployment, low income supports and and jobs. Um, but before we get into that with this, you know, recent bill, one more background question, which is, you know, this role that the uh, nuclear power generation has played in the state for such a long time. My, my limited understanding of this is that uh, at least some of the stations, the nuclear stations that were are operating in Illinois were, you know, in danger of shutting down because of you know, the market conditions that currently exist. Can you help us understand uh, what the challenges have been facing those nuclear generators and, you know, maybe uh, how the, the nuclear sector um, kind of wanted to encourage the legislature to support them? Yeah, that, that's correct, Daniel. This has been a really interesting uh, wrinkle in the story. So uh, basically, uh, there's a large energy company called Exelon, and they basically own all of these nuclear power plants in the state of Illinois. And they had threatened to close a few different stations, uh, Byron, Dredzen, and Braidwood. Uh, those three together are about six and a half gigawatts of capacity. So really big electricity generation uh, assets uh, generating a lot of electricity for the state. And they were basically saying, hey, we need help uh, uh, you know, making it worth it to continue to operate these plants. They were claiming that there was you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue shortfalls. There's also a job component to this, obviously, right? So th these plants employ about 2,500 people. Uh, and so there's uh, this job piece, kind of the local politics angle to this. And really the biggest challenge uh, with nuclear is that it struggled to compete against lower priced natural gas in the wholesale electricity markets, right? Uh, given the fracking boom that continues in the US. And so competition from cheaper natural gas and also renewables now too. Um, and so these companies and these power producers that own these nuclear assets have been sort of touting nuclear as a form of clean energy. And in fact, it is zero emissions, right? You look at the towers uh, from a nuke plant and that's not smoke coming out of there, that's water vapor. And so they've been lobbying the legislatures and sort of saying, hey, we need help. We wanna sort of maintain and enhance our cost competitiveness through subsidies. Some folks use the term bailouts. And uh, the policymakers in return have deemed this to be a really important and worthy investment as part of their state level decarbonization plans. And so. They've typically gone through this like rate-based recovery process. They're basically increasing electricity rates uh, to some extent for households and small businesses to, to keep these plants open. It's happened in Illinois. It's happened in Ohio. It's happened in a number of other states. And so I think this is going to be a really interesting development to follow in the electricity market as we continue to shift uh, broadly to clean energy. I think nuclear is going to be a big part of that mix because it is zero emissions. Yeah, and it's been so interesting to see how different states have kind of approached this, right? You mentioned Ohio and Illinois, and I think there are, you know, other approaches that that differ in terms of the the technically the way that they do this in in New York State and maybe some other states, right? They have these things called zero emissions credits, which are you know a, a, a different way of achieving some of the same goals. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay, all this preamble now brings us up to um, the bill uh, that's at the center of our discussion, or I guess I should say the law that's at the center of our discussion since it's been passed and signed. Uh, and as I mentioned before, it's called the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act, which uh, I guess we could call it CJA. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's <laughs> Let correct. CJA is it. what people are calling it. Yeah. CJA. Okay. That's not a particularly nice acronym, but we'll stick with it. So, um, just kind of like headline numbers, what are, what are some of the major targets uh, that the bill articulates in terms of the power mix and emissions reductions over time? 
Yeah, this has really been a, a, a great bill. It's pretty monumental at the state level in the U.S. So I talked about FIJA uh, a couple minutes ago, right? And so that was a really important bill. And I think that CJA is kind of once again putting Illinois at the forefront, kind of raising the bar on energy and climate policy. Uh, as you noted, it's the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act. Um, and it's really ambitious. It has a lot of equity and justice uh, focus, uh, which is really innovative. It passed, uh, just for some numbers uh, for you all, it passed 83 to 33 in the House and 37 to 17 in the Senate. Uh, so, so with pretty good numbers there. What CJA does is it puts Illinois on a path to 100% zero carbon energy by 2050. It has benchmarks for 40% renewable energy by 2030 and 50% by 2040. So think back to that RPS discussion, right? And um, we're actually building about four times more renewable energy per year than under the aforementioned uh, FIJA policy. It also aims to equitably phase out fossil fuel electricity generation, such as coal and gas, by 2045. So building more renewables, shutting down uh, coal and gas fired power plants. And um, it's also focused on transportation to some extent. So uh, thinking about how we can transition from the state's polluting transportation sector off of fossil fuels, expanding access to electric vehicles and charging stations and better public transit, especially for, uh, and this is important, historically and economically disadvantaged communities. There's going to be, Daniel, this new uh, EV, this electric vehicle coordinator at the Illinois EPA that's going to oversee some of the sustainable transportation pieces, which is really cool. Um, one other important thing is, given the history, both in Illinois and in other states for that matter, of utility corruption, uh, CJA also works to reform utility accountability and ethics. So it's implementing sort of new standards for the financial and lobbying activities. So for instance, uh, prohibiting using ratepayer money for political support. They're creating a new oversight division in the ICC, the Illinois Commerce Commission, to basically audit and enforce these utility compliance uh, standards. And so there's a lot of pieces. There's pieces regarding workforce we can talk about, energy efficiency programs. It's, it's truly a historic and exciting uh, piece of energy legislation at the state level that's going to stimulate jobs, reduce emissions, and really create a, an equitable clean energy future for the state. Right. It's so interesting. And the, as you you know alluded to, there are lots and lots of moving pieces uh, in this bill, which is one of the things that makes it so interesting. Just one quick clarifying question. You mentioned the vote totals. Um, I'm guessing that those were bipartisan, giving the sort of overwhelming majorities. But can you just clarify, was there you know considerable support from both sides of the aisle? Was it heavily tilted in one direction or another? Yeah, it was bipartisan, uh, pretty uh, widespread support across both parties. Uh, and I think, again, this was coming off of uh, FIJA from five years ago, right, where we had already established this baseline of support. Um, and so uh, it, it was well known that it was going to pass through uh, the House and then the Senate, and then the governor signed it uh, within a day or two right after that. Yeah, interesting. So, Gilbert, as you mentioned a couple times, there are you know substantial provisions in the bill around both uh, labor uh, and equity and fairness. Can you dive into you know one or two elements uh, that speak to those pieces of the bill, whichever ones you think are most interesting, and kind of give us some more flavor for them? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, in terms of labor, what CJA does is it works to ensure that 
an equitable share of the jobs and the wealth that's generated by this new energy economy, right? We talked about building more renewable energy projects, for instance, that this happens directly in disadvantaged communities. And for those that have been traditionally left behind, which is like really important, this is like a really important part of this bill. What it does more pointedly, Daniel, is provides over $80 million per year for workforce development programs, specifically in these disadvantaged communities. It's specifically creating 16 new workforce hubs and a pre-apprenticeship program to train and create a pipeline of these these energy workers needed uh, given these new demands. It's also creating, which is really cool, a training program for uh, soon-to-be-released incarcerated persons for jobs in the solar industry and the energy efficiency sector, uh, which is really unique as well. Uh, I know that we've uh, talked a lot and done a lot of work on just transitions as well, uh, you and I, Daniel, and uh, CJA is also helping support you know communities dealing with coal mine closures, coal-fired power plant closures, gas plant closures as we sort of look out to the future, right? And uh, a couple numbers on this. So they're providing about $40 million per year in community transition grants, as they've termed them. And that can help with a lot of different things, you know, even just replacing uh, property tax dollars that might be lost. They're also creating a scholarship fund for displaced workers and their children, which is really cool. And, um, you know, there's so much more to the bill. These are just a few highlights, especially uh, related to labor. And again, this focus on disadvantaged communities. The entire bill is over 900 pages long. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. And it's literally a big bill uh, in terms of its page count, right? Uh, it's, it's monumental. I think it's uh, taking an aggressive uh, stance on the climate crisis, taking really bold action toward these things that I mentioned. A 100% clean energy future, equitable job training for lower income, formerly incarcerated, displaced fossil fuel workers, and really uh, important aggressive utility accountability measures. So it's, it's a really great success story. Grassroots advocacy shows the power that communities have in shaping their clean energy future and really bubbling up and, and changing policy at the state level. So I'm super excited about it. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, it shows that, that that's great. Um, and maybe one follow-up question on that is, um, you know, the $40 million for uh, fossil energy communities that, that you mentioned, do you know if that's focused on power plant communities or is it also focused on coal mining communities? Because most people don't know this, but there's actually quite a bit of coal mining in um, Southern Illinois. Yeah, there is a, a bunch of coal mining in Southern Illinois. Uh, to my knowledge, Daniel, it's, it's related to all of the above. So both dealing with uh, transitioning coal mine communities and then also those with the coal-fired power plants as well. Yeah, great. Interesting. Um, so we've been talking about dollars and cents, uh, or at least partly about dollars and cents. In, in the last question, you helped us understand the scale of some of the investments. Um, but it's also important to know where those dollars are coming from. So do you have a sense of how much the bill is expected to cost and how those dollars are going to be distributed? You know, Is it going to affect ratepayers mostly? Is it going to go onto the general tax base? Uh, is it going to come from other places? Can you help us understand you know, what the costs are and how they'll be distributed? Yeah, that's a really good and important question, right? We have to think about the costs and maybe the downsides if you want to frame it like that, right? But um, so like most studies or projections, there's a wide range of numbers that I've seen. I haven't crunched anything myself uh, to be transparent, but I've seen estimates as high, Daniel, as 
$15 a month extra for the average residential rate payer in Illinois to as low as about $4 a month extra. And so there's a wide range, like I said, that latter number, that $4 a month comes from the Citizens Utility Board, which is a, a nonprofit group that advocates for clean energy and ratepayer protections. And so um, it's an interesting uh, range. I think that more of the estimates I've seen are closer to the lower bound. And as you know, you have to be mindful of, of who's coming up with these numbers, what assumptions they're making in their models, what agendas they might have. But anyway, I think it'll probably end up being somewhere in the middle of those two figures. Um, and if you if you scratch this out on the back of an envelope, you know, this is somewhere around an extra $100 per year, probably for the average person in Illinois. But but of course, you have to weigh these costs against the projected benefits that I that I noted, right? Job creation and cleaner air and water, etc. And so I think for a lot of people, especially those with a high level of environmental altruism, it's it's really a no brainer. Yeah, I don't know if I would put myself in the altruistic category, but I, but I am one of those people that does pay extra for uh, clean electricity uh, coming into my house. So I definitely understand that sentiment. Well, Gilbert, um, this has been really interesting. Um, one other question to ask you that you've spoken to a little bit, but I'd love to hear more, is to what extent are there provisions in the bill or perhaps in other existing laws that uh, seek to protect low-income consumers from facing those higher costs that you have just described? Yeah, this is this is part of CJA as well. Uh, so that's a good question. It has a few pieces that are attempting specifically to reduce the energy burden on, uh, again, lower income consumers in the state, right? So for instance, it actually bans late payment fees on electricity bills for lower income residential customers, which is which is really important. They're actually, to my knowledge, Daniel, going to undertake a new study as well to establish a low income electricity rate for these customers. So that's kind of unique. I haven't heard of that before. Uh, I'll be interested to follow how that uh, works. And I also know that they're providing funding to basically do a better job at fixing things like health and safety issues when they're working on uh, energy efficiency measures in low income homes. Uh, so there's a, a few different uh, tidbits around that topic. So, Gilbert, last question now before we go to our top of the stack segment, and it's a question about federalism. So, as our listeners know well, there are lots of different state-level energy and electricity policies. Uh, There's enormous variation. Lots of states are different, taking interesting, varying approaches. We've talked in this show about California and New York and New Mexico and other states. How do you think about um, you know this issue in the context of of this specific bill? You know what are the actions that Illinois is taking and how does that contribute to efforts that other states might take in the future? Yeah, good question, Daniel. This is a really important piece of this. As it sounds like your listeners know, uh, we have this kind of separation of powers, right? We have things going on at the federal government, but at the state level, states actually hold a lot of power in the energy policy realm net metering laws and RPS and tax credits and, and other incentives such as those. And so I think one of the really exciting things about CJA and about what Illinois is doing, broadly speaking, is that it's laying out a foundation for other Midwestern states and other states, broadly speaking, to look at what we're doing as a sort of a policy leader, if you will, evaluate uh, if we're achieving our policy objectives, if we're actually you know, targeting and doing a good job at 
deploying more renewables and hitting on disadvantaged communities and all the things that we've been talking about today. And then consider that as they uh, think about their own policy adoption process at the state level, uh, if they have those same desires of uh, you know, deploying clean energy, reducing pollution, assisting with workforce transitions, helping out a coal mine and coal-fired power plant impacted communities. And so I think through this very traditional, you know, diffusion of innovation process over time and over geography, especially at the state level, it's really exciting to see Illinois be a leader in this space. And I'm hopeful that other states in the region will sort of follow suit uh, I know, for instance, uh, and I don't know if the timing mattered at all or not, but the state of Ohio, where I moved here from, about a week after CJA passed and was announced, uh, implemented uh, this new program or is trying to pass this new bill entitled the Energy Jobs and Justice Act. And so we're already starting to see some of this diffusion process happen, which I think is exciting. Yeah, that is so interesting. And um yeah, from nearby in the state of Michigan. I'll be interesting to see what happens here uh, where I live as well. Well, Gilbert, um, thank you so much again for coming on the show today and helping us understand this really interesting uh, new piece of legislation. It's going to be fascinating to watch it play out in the years ahead. Um, let's move now to our top of the stack segment where we ask you what you've read or watched or heard recently uh, that you'd recommend to our listeners. It can be related to the environment or even just tangentially related to the environment. And I'll start um, with a recommendation for folks who want to go actually even deeper on on this bill. It's a podcast episode from David Roberts, um, who writes the uh, Volts newsletter and has the Volts podcast. Um, uh, One of the recent Volts episodes was actually just David Roberts talking through this bill (laughs) in in quite a a healthy level of detail. So if you want, uh, uh, I think, the next layer of of detail down in this bill, it'd be a really great resource. It's called Illinois' Brilliant New Climate Jobs and Justice Bill. Again, it's the Volts podcast, uh, and it's a pretty cool podcast overall, so I'd recommend you check it out. Uh, But how about you, Gilbert? What's at the top of your literal or metaphorical reading stack? Yeah, well, I'd second the David Roberts suggestion. Um, it's a it's a great listen, so definitely check that out. And uh, I've already recommended, I suppose, Captain Planet. So maybe we'll have some folks pulling out the uh, the VHS from from Absolutely. the nineties. Yeah, yes, please. <laughs> um, and I guess you know, not to offer competing podcasts, uh, but here's a couple <laughs> others I like. Right, um, my favorite uh, podcast uh, in the energy space historically, Daniel, is called the Energy Gang. Uh, highly recommended for folks interested in renewable energy and clean tech. And I think what's really exciting about the energy transition is uh, just how rapidly uh, this transformation is occurring. And so the podcast does a really good job at hitting on current events, uh, such as, you know, the Texas grid failure and Biden's climate policy and a lot of other uh, things like that. Um, Jigger Shaw was a part of the podcast for many years. He's a big name in energy that folks probably know about. He's now with DOE, Department of Energy. Um, Catherine Hamilton is another member of this uh, gang, quote unquote, and I actually was fortunate enough to meet her in Chicago uh, before I lived here uh, a few years ago at an award ceremony. She's from Virginia, and so we have uh, Virginia connections, and it's been fun to follow her work. I really like uh, the Energy Gang as the first one. And then one more quick one uh, for you, uh, maybe a shameless plug in some ways. There's a brand new podcast called Solar for All. Uh, And this is actually uh, started and done by a good friend of mine. His name is Jeff Greenfield. He runs uh, solar companies in both Ohio and Colorado. And it's really good conversation at the intersection of 
renewable energy and equity and justice. And I was actually a guest on one of the recent episodes. So if folks want to hear uh, me talk more about equitable jobs, <laughs> very specific to the solar industry, uh, you should you should check it out. That's great. All right. Well, people are going to be filling up their uh, smartphones with podcast recommendations based on today's episode. Uh, great. All good recommendations. Um, so thank you again so much, uh, Gilbert Michaud from Loyola University, Chicago. Thank you so much for joining us today on Resources Radio, helping us understand this really fascinating uh, new piece of legislation. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Daniel. This has been fun. Uh, appreciate you having me on. You've been listening to Resources Radio. Learn how to support resources for the future at rff.org support. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C., our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson, with music by me, Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.